at what point do you think a business owner should start mapping out their processes and recording what they're doing? Like the first day. <laughs> we are back with another episode of the Cold Star Project. I am here with Celine Hogue of Anansi Content Solutions. And we're going to talk about how Celine uh, scaled her own business. And there's a topic central to this that's near and dear to my heart, which is process engineering, which she knows all about and helps lots of clients with. Um, and I think we could begin with that. Like, tell us a little bit about the business, Celine, and who you are and what you do. Cool. So, um, first of all, it's actually not my business. Um, the owners say, but I've worked with her basically since the beginning. We started as a team of two and a part-time VA, and now we're a team of five and probably growing to six pretty soon. Um, we do white label content for digital agencies. So, as I'm sure you know, working with a lot of digital agencies, uh, owners are run off their feet, they're wearing a million hats, and content is miserable for most of them because either they're writing it and they don't have time to do it, or their clients are writing it, and it's awful, and it takes forever, and clients never get back to them. Um, so basically, through the magic power of processes, um, we've refined ours so that we can basically bang through content start to finish without any um, hiccups or delays from the client in most cases. Nice. And is this a premium service or something that's more on the affordable scale of things? How does that work out? Um, I would say it's fairly premium um, because one part of what we do is we do a strategy before we dive into any copywriting. Um, so we sit down with clients, we interview them, learn about their businesses. Then we have um, basically a live feedback session where we present a content strategy brief that talks about like their key messaging, what makes them unique, their voice, their brand, their audience, how to engage with their audience, what type of language their audience uses. Um, and then we go ahead and we write drafts and then we send it to the client so they have a chance to look over it beforehand. And we do another live feedback session um, where we kind of basically go through the drafts on the spot. And I would say about 80 to 90% of the time it's approved on the spot, sometimes a couple of weeks afterward. But um, I think in that case, like having the live sessions is what really keeps projects on track because then the clients aren't like, you're not waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for them to finally look at the drafts. There's the meeting book. They have to look at it. There's a deadline. Right. Yeah. I've talked about the, what I call the project start gap a lot uh, where somebody pays you money and then you're waiting around for critical information from them so that you can get started. And if you've got people uh, kind of on the clock, waiting around and they're, they're getting paid. So money is bleeding out of the project and yet you're not able to move forward. And so you've gotten around that by having this uh, kickoff meeting then, right? Yeah. And there's so many costs involved when things delays. We, I mean, early on before we discovered or refined our process to this point, we had that problem. And there's, you know, by the time that you've actually done the project, the, the money's already spent on like employees or other costs. And then you're also spending way more time on projects because you're constantly following up, chasing them and down. Um, so yeah, it's, it, there's, you know, money bleeds in a few different directions, definitely. Right. So tell us about some of the problems that you started running into as you began getting clients and having to do fulfillment. And obviously the first one was this start gap, like, hey, they're not responding. I got to grab them by the ear and get the information out of them. Then what happened? Yeah, and especially because, of course, they'd all suddenly come back to us at once and want to start at once, and we're, uh, Say and I are busy trying to grow the business and work on the business rather than in the business, but at this point, it was still just us and a VA, so we're trying to do the projects, and we're trying to 
you know, also grow the business and we're, you know, going crazy, but we weren't really sure how to hire or where to hire. Um, you know, like what position do we hire? Do we just hire a writer? Do we hire a project manager? Um, but actually what really, really, um, was kind of the, the magic key turning point was we, um, implemented what we call the uh, single scalable seat. Hmm. Okay. Um, so basically we have strategists now that handle a project start to finish. Say and I work on the business itself. We do the sales, we do the account management, uh, marketing, accounting, all those kind of backend stuff. And so now if say we're, you know, pretty slow, we have two strategists, um, they take on as much work as we give them until they're full capacity. Then, like, for example, right now, we're like, we're run off our feet with business, so we're hiring a new strategist. So it's really easy when more business comes in to hire a strategist. We have all the processes in place down to, like, the very last detail of how to email um, partners, like, message templates and everything. Um, so then they can quickly kind of come in and start taking on projects. And every time we grow again, it's super easy to just add a new strategist and we've kind of realized, you know, like one strategist can generate or can handle this much worth of projects, generates that much revenue. Um, they're actually paid on a percentage of a project basis. So we already know our cost of goods sold. Um, so it's, it's really been super helpful for scaling the business to have that kind of system in place rather than always trying to figure out who to hire. It's, you know, we just have the one, the one seat. We just add more of as we grow. Right. Now, who manages the managers? Is that um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm the integrator and basically what that means is I kind of act as the liaison between say who does all the like very, very high level planning and she does the sales and stuff and the rest of the team. So I make sure everything's on track. Um, you know, I kind of schedule in when projects start, check in with the strategists regarding their capacity and availability. Do, you know, I'm, I'm basically the, the go between for all that. Okay. Why do you think it is that, that uh, people who start a business, especially a service business like this, uh, completely avoid processes and don't want to talk about numbers? I see this a lot, right? They want to hide away from the math and, and therefore they do not understand whether they're profitable or not. They're just kind of limping along from thing to thing. Yeah. Tell me a little well, bit about that. Um, my background, actually, before I started doing this, when I went to university, I was a stats and econ major. So I love, I love numbers. Um, but I know for a lot of people, um, I know like we work with digital agency owners, they're creative, they're designers, they start their business because they want to do this. They, they want, they love what they do and that's what they want to do. Their background in, isn't really in the numbers and the data and especially smaller agencies uh, they're so busy doing the project work, they don't have time to sit back and analyze numbers and write out processes. Processes take time um, because, I mean, you could spend five minutes doing something or you could spend 20 minutes like doing it, writing out all the steps, recording the video, going back and making sure everything's in place, finding somewhere to store it, um, making sure everyone else can access it. Um, and if you do that for every little piece of your business, it takes time. Um, and we've, we we kind of set aside that time. We know that you know, when you create a process, it's going to take longer up front, but in the end, it saves a ton of time. Right. Now, you mentioned this phrase, single scalable seat. Let's dig in a little bit more to that. Where'd that come from? And how do you know? How do you know when, when you've built a thing that is, it is the right, I guess, model? Yeah. Well, actually, this idea came to us from uh, Brent Weaver, who is the head of YouGurus. 
Okay. And we were, we had this same issue with capacity and trying to uh, figure out what we were going to do. Cause we were like, we have more work than we can do. And we're still kind of spinning our wheels in the mud and not getting anywhere and super busy, even though all these people want to pay us. And he kind of shared a bit about how his, um, cause it's, I guess, a mentoring agency, um, how, how they work. They have mentors that mentor digital agencies and that's what they do. Um, when they have a whole bunch of people who enroll for, their boot camp or any of their programs, they add more mentors. Um, so we essentially stole it from him, you know, tweaked it for our business. Um, but it's, you know, it's worked out really, really well for us. And so the concept is there's like a beginning, a middle and an end to this, or is it meant to be an ongoing thing or what? Um, I mean, it's mostly ongoing. Our goal isn't to be like this giant corporation of 80 people. So, I guess whenever we get to a comfortable place, that's when we would stop. We haven't, I think our 10 year plan probably has maybe four strategists in it, four or five. Um, but I mean, in theory, you could do it forever, but then you'd have to hire more project managers, more super, you, you would have to start hiring other roles at that point um, to manage, you know, the like way larger influx of people. You'd have to hire salespeople to fill the pipelines of that many people. Um, so in, in a larger model, you have to start adding other seats, but for our agency size right now, it works really well. Okay. How do you find out what the capacity of one of your strategists is that you're bringing on? So you've got this single scalable seat, you've got processes, you think you understand at least the first time you're running it, right? What they should be able to handle. How do you estimate that? And then what do you do to adjust? Um, well, it's so funny. We're actually in the middle of that right now where we, we just had a really comfortable flow of work. And so I kind of got a little bit lax about capacity and stuff. And we knew roughly they can handle, handle about one kickoff a week per project, uh, sometimes two if they're smaller projects. And then all of a sudden, um, in the, about the last week, week and a half, we had the single biggest week in our entire company. And we have a lineup of people who are like, we want our content. We want it now. And suddenly we're like, oh, can we take this all on? Um, so we're actually building that. We have um, in Sheets, I've, we've already built a capacity calendar that kind of shows monthly how many hours are available by each um, strategist, how many hours a project takes. Um, we have three levels of projects. Our, our standard packages are starter, influencer, and thought leader. Um, so we know that maybe a starter project takes you know, 15 hours total start to finish. An influencer might take 25 um, and a thought leader might take, I don't even know, 40 or 50. I, I have the number somewhere. <laughs> um, but we can basically kind of play around and model, hey, if we start one project in this week, and of course projects, you know, the, the hours they take, for example, a thought leader might take six weeks versus a starter might take three weeks. So we know it's safe, 10 hours in the first week, five hours in the second week, five hours in the third week. And so I have this like very in-depth spreadsheet that I can kind of model that um, and know when they can take on more projects and when they can't. Um, I would be more than happy to share that with you because it's pretty cool actually. How, how necessary do you think that capacity planning is? Do you run into a lot of people who, like you asked the question, can we even take this on, this work, right? Do you think yeah. people avoid that kind of question and just kind of take everything that's thrown their way or do, do they actually think it through? 
Um, I think most people take everything that's thrown their way and then try and figure out a way to make it work afterward because nobody likes turning down money. Um, you know, like someone comes to us and be like, hey, we want you to do this. We have $5,000 for you. Like, what are you going to say? Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't want it. Um, or, you know, sometimes we'll have to say, hey, we're, we're, we're now fully booked for December and up to right. the middle of January. So we'd love to work with you. But our next kickoff is, say, January 17th or something. Um, but I would say most people probably, I guess it depends on where they are in their business. Most people are still at the place where they add more people, they have more capacity, they, um, they want, they, you know, they, they want more business or maybe they're at capacity and then they just start working like 80 hour work weeks. <laughs> to do right. Which, which is not good because then your yeah, quality you reach burnout decisions drops and yeah. And then yeah. And whatnot. But people still do it anyway. So do you hire VAs or are they like formal employees or what? How is that organized? Um, well, we have right now we have one VA. I think I mentioned to you earlier, we went through just a string of unfortunate incidences mm -hmm. where we hired a VA and then she had a family emergency and then we hired another VA. And like to, by the end of the second week, we realized that she totally misrepresented her qualifications. Um, but actually, we hire um, VAs from the Philippines. We find that it works really, really well for us um, because, I mean, obviously, per hour, uh, their hourly wage is lower, but even so, we can afford to pay them, you know, like five, ten times the minimum wage or something, like a really, really, really good wage for them. And so we can get the very, very best talent of people who are super skilled um, at still, you know, what would be like an entry-level wage for the United States. Um, so our, our VA, she works 40 hours a week. She works exclusively for us. And we hired her through... Um, well, we had, you know, we put on job boards and there's a app or a subscription service called Vervo. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like a really in-depth hiring platform where you can set multiple online interviews where they do test questions, they do like video answers and stuff. Um, and of course, you know, we have like the huge process, the hiring process that has every step. Mm -hmm. um, and then we do, you know, we have two rounds of the online interviews. We do the live uh, in-person interview, then we do a test project. Um, so by the time we hire them, we're usually pretty confident that they have um, not only the skills, but the right mindset and culture to fit with our team. Mm -hmm. And so you've gone through that learning process of how to filter for, for good VAs and find the right tools as well to help you do that. What would you say to uh, a, a more new or scrambly kind of business owner who, who is looking at that and going, well, that sounds great, but I don't have time to do that. Um, you don't have time not to do it because if you're scrambling around, chances are you have a lot of work that isn't high value work. It's not what's making you the money. It's not the best use of your time. It's basic, small administrative work that somebody else can do. And then you can use that time to do more sales, to fulfill more jobs, to build your business. You can do that kind of high level work that is most meaningful to your company because you have somebody else hiring or billing all like the smaller things and managing your projects and stuff. Okay. At what point do you think a business owner should start mapping out their processes and recording what they're doing? Like the first day, <laughs> I would say maybe not the first day, but once they've done a couple projects and they have that general process, that's a good time to start recording. Um, for example, we just, um, introduced a new service where we do um, basically layouts 
mm-hmm. for the uh, for the content we write. So we not only we do we do the um, the content, but we actually do like the layouts. We have whatever um, design templates the designers use. We choose those. We say, hey, this is the text that's text that's going to go in this spot. This is the button text, the link, like kind of all the bells and whistles. And I've written up more of the bare bones of the process for that. But we haven't filled in the details yet because it's going to take us doing it a couple times to really understand what the most efficient way to do it is. And then once we're comfortable with how we do it, then we're going to start filling in all like the really minutia of each individual step. Um, because otherwise, I mean, I could write it now and it would be completely wrong or change because we're not, uh, we haven't really gotten our groove with it yet. Okay. So get a little bit of experience with it and that should teach you what the boundaries are and then you yeah. can, then you can fill in the the blanks as you go but don't leave it too long or it's going to be overwhelming right right how 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 long should go by before somebody reviews their process and checks are we still doing it this way is this the best way to be doing it should we be doing this at all anymore um i would say probably every realistically i mean every couple months is probably ideal usually we do it every time we hire and we're and a new person is following those processes uh we look through and we're like oh this is super out of date or oh this references this thing we don't do anymore um and then we have to go through and i spend probably with every hire i spend at least a few days going through all the processes and updating them for what we currently do and checking in with or checking with people who do them and say hey, is this still how you do it? Have you found a better, more efficient way? Um, but I mean, usually we'll update as we go too, but we always do like a big batch of huge process revisions. Okay. So yeah, at the very most every quarter, I would yeah. imagine looking at this thing again. When you bring on a new hire, so are you doing the training and taking them by the hand through the processes or is that your strategist's job and you're kind of filling in the gaps? Um, it really depends on the position for the strategist. It's usually say handling it because she has um, a lot more of the background and the content and the strategy. Um, and we do a lot, we don't, we used to do like a lot of intensive training and now we let strategists rely primarily on the processes and videos we've made. And we found that they learn a lot better that way. And then our training sessions are more of Q and a sessions. So we'll say, Hey, you know, watch this video, read through this process. Um, you know, or the set of processes, then here we have our like three or four meetings a week or whatever it is. Ask me all the questions you have about this. What doesn't make sense? What do you want to learn more about? Um, And that way they're learning not the basics of how to do things, but how to do things really well. Um, And then we'll usually sit through them with like, you know, the first couple meetings or watch the recordings of their meetings later and give them feedback or in their deliverables. Okay. So it really gives you a lot of consistency in your training, then everybody sees the same thing and then they can stick up their hands. And if a bunch of people ask the same question or two in a row, <laughs> I would imagine yeah. then there's a, there's a gap to be filled there. How, yeah. how much involvement are you having in managing the numbers of the business, the cash flow, the accounting, making sure like, was this project profitable? Um, that's basically entirely my responsibility. Um, so we actually have, we use teamwork as our project management system and we track our time in there. So we have a sheet that has all of our projects, uh, how many weeks it's gone on for what the fee is, uh, what the cost of goods sold for the strategist is. Um, and also you know, like what, the, what their current hours are at. And we have a uh, target hour 
So for example, you know, I mentioned our starter might take 15 hours. If that's our target, we can say, hey, you know, we're two thirds of the project through the project um, and we're already like over our hours on that project. So maybe try and wrap this up or think of ways that this can be more efficient in the future. I mean, I know all projects are different. Some clients, you, they're just super easy and you bang through it. Sometimes they're like really high needs or they have changes halfway through or they're, you know, always wanting to hop on more calls and stuff. So our strategists, because we pay them a fixed price per project, um, they kind of manage their own time, but we want to make sure that they're being efficient with their time too. Hmm. What do you do in that situation where the client is not going berserk and it's not maybe a negative experience, but they're not being easy, right? They're not, they're not yeah. flowing through. Is that, is that like a expectations not set well up front thing? Or is that a, Hey, this, this person's like the wild horse that we can't tame, you know, and we just got to uh, do something about it. Well, I would say most of our clients with this process go through it really, really well. Mm -hmm. uh, there are two types of people who end up taking are that are higher needs. They're not like necessarily bad clients. Mm -hmm. uh, the first are people who are really, really detail oriented and want to be very, very, very involved. And again, that's not a bad thing because they care about the process. Um, but a lot of times, you know, if they're control freaks or they're really, um, you know, they just want to be really involved and it takes a bit more time, but it's usually okay because the end result is worth it. Um, the other type of client that takes an extra amount of time are people who change their minds halfway through. Um, where, you know, we, we've had this where we're presenting the drafts, we're doing the live feedback se uh, session to the draft, and they're like, oh, we're actually totally changing our business, or we've added this section to our business. Can you just like write another five pages or something for it? Um, and at that point, we say, hey, you know, this is out of scope. We've already confirmed, because we confirm everything at every stage. We have the deep dive interview. Uh, or multiple interviews, we have the uh, content strategy brief where we confirm all their messaging, we confirm the sitemap, we confirm everything. Um, so at that point, we'll say, you know, we can potentially do this, but we'll have to bill extra for it because it's not within the original scope of the project. Okay, so super clear expectations on project scope, which as we know is something <laughs> that for many consultants and, and agencies can gallop away. Yeah, we don't do scope creep. Right. Have you ever had a bad experience where you stood on that scope and said, this is, this is what we agreed on and you agreed to it. And they're just over there chirping away that, you know, Hey, this is, I, I want it changed. You know what? We actually haven't. Um, I mean, sometimes they're like a lot of times they'll always be like, Oh, can you just squeeze this in or squeeze mm -hmm. that in? Um, and if we're already under time on the project or we have more leeway, sometimes we will do a small change here or there. Um, and it, depends as well on the partner because we have recurring relationships with the digital agencies we work with. So we want to make sure that their relationship with the client is solid. Um, but most of the time I would say they're pretty understanding. It's okay. usually when things get off the track and everyone has a negative experience is when we don't stand our ground mm -hmm. and then we do this and do that, or they change their mind. That's usually when at the end, nobody feels like anything was really accomplished and nobody feels super satisfied. Um, but that, maybe it's just because we have all these processes in place and we have very clear um, expectations mm -hmm. that it actually doesn't happen very often. Okay. Well, that's great to hear. And that, that is a power, a protective power of processes to get my alliteration on. <laughs> um, one of the things just, I want to dig into this and then we'll wrap up. Uh, sure. When I, when I first noticed you, you were commenting on uh, a thread in a, in a group about, 
using apps like teamwork and you had, you had a you know, huge uh, piece of content there about, and I was like, wow, you know what? I pointed it out to my uh, past co-founder because what we found like six months into using Asana was that we didn't like our own process flow for it. And we threw everything out and we redesigned it. And we, we discovered that the, the, like the, the thing Asana was the same. It wasn't like Asana suddenly turned blue or something, right? Or had yeah. its own interface completely changed. We, we changed. And so we learned that y you can have a tool, but you need to learn how to use it for yourself. And it could be completely different in the process that you run on top of the thing, but underneath it, it's still the same. So just getting a, a project management tool is not enough. That, that was a big takeaway that we had. What, yeah. uh, what other things have you seen, a couple tidbits that you could give to people who are considering using or who maybe have struggled with using a project management tool like Teamwork, and we did, we moved to Teamwork actually uh, after Asana, that, that would help them kind of get their heads around it and using it effectively. I would say start with all the bells and whistles turned off and then slowly explore them because teamwork can be so overwhelming. There's billing, there's milestones, there's Gantt charts. Uh, teamwork, actually, we just got the first message this morning. They're having their 12 days of Christmas where they're introducing a new feature every single day. I think today was uh, the schedule planner for, team, for your team or something. Um, and there, there are so many things. So, you know, start with the basics, master those. Um, and then move on, or better yet, assign your VA to master those. Teamwork has a uh, the Teamwork Academy or whatever they call it. Um, get someone else to master teamwork for you. Um, and then, yeah, start with a couple features and then play around. Because some, some are useful, some aren't. Billing, for example, for us in Teamwork is not useful at all, so we just turn it off. Um, but, yeah, because otherwise you're just going to get swamped, you're going to get lost, and it's going to end up, instead of making your workflow easier, it's just going to overwhelm you. Right. Yeah, I mean, we struggle with user adoption. We struggle with getting our people to use it instead of Asana or Google Docs, or Google Sheets, right? Uh, Google Team Drives, uh, where where everything was kind of tucked away in there. And um, our hope was that searching for things would become easier and that, and it just didn't, right? You know. Yeah. So so yeah. So you do have to learn this thing on your own, and it, and it, or or get a VA to do it. Um, and I like your idea of turning off all the the advanced settings and yeah. just learning how to use the core of the thing All and right. processes yeah um, because we have even when we set up a new project in teamwork we have the processes uh, we have like obviously we have you know I'm, we're, I'm a process nerd you're a process nerd we have processes for everything but we have the process for you know creating a new project we have a zap that creates a Google Drive folder for the project when a new teamwork project is created we have the process for turning on Google Drive integration, adding partners. You know, if you have a process for everything, then you don't need to remember how to do it each time because right. you just follow your own instructions. Right, very handy. <laughs> Tell us, I guess, to wrap up, what kind of a situation would uh, potential clients be in to use uh, Anansi content solutions? Where, where would people be at where they're like, okay, now I need this? Um, well, first of all, digital agency owners, um, we, we're white label. We don't work directly with clients except for in a couple of very, very rare situations. Um, but basically anyone who's designing websites or sending market or, you know, marketing campaigns, anything like that, where you need content. Um, I would say selling at least 10 to $15,000 projects. 
because if you're you know only charging two thousand dollars for a website you can't afford content um but basically i would say yeah once you're starting to grow and you're finding yourself overwhelmed or you just want to deal with it um that's probably when you need a content team and it's you know a lot of agencies they think oh i can't afford content on my projects it's going to take away from my margins but we actually recommend that our partners mark up our services one and a half to two times hmm. so really they're not even touching content they're not worrying about it and they're still making profit on it um so i people like working with us right. <laughs> yeah it sounds like a great deal awesome yeah. um and where can people go online to to get a hold of you um www.anancycontent.com i'm sure you can just like yeah, let's spell that somewhere. out because there will be an audio only version of this. Ah, A-N-A-N-S-I-C-O-N-T-E-N-T dot com. I hope I spelled that right. I don't have it. <laughs> it looks like it <laughs> from my, my notes here. All right. My guest today awesome. has been Celine Hogue. Thanks for being here. I really enjoyed the conversation. I did too. Have a great day, Jason.